Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Report podcast. I'm your host, Vago Maradian. Our podcast is brought to you by Bell. Since 1935, Bell has been redefining flight. Learn more about its pioneering spirit at bellflight.com. On most Mondays, Byron Callen of the independent Washington research firm, Capital Alpha Partners, joins us for a look ahead at the week. Byron, thanks very much for joining us. Glad to be here, Vago. Uh, an absolute uh, pleasure. And before we get started, our global coverage is sponsored by Leonardo DRS. Northrop Grumman sponsors our weekly cyber report and our cyber coverage overall. General Atomics Aeronautical Systems sponsors our coverage of strategy. And our naval coverage is sponsored by Fincantieri Marinette Marine and Huntington Ingalls Industries. And General Electric Marine sponsored our coverage of the recent of the Navy League's recent Sea Airspace Conference and uh, trade show. Uh, Byron, obviously Afghanistan has been dominating uh, the headlines, and certainly we can uh, talk about that in just a moment. But talk to us about some of the things you're paying attention to and focusing uh, this week, right? I mean, National Space Symposium uh, is uh, ongoing, uh, but uh, let's start with where uh, Democrats are uh, on the infrastructure measure and reconciliation, uh, because the Afghanistan debacle um, is playing out at a time when the president uh, is also trying to marshal uh, votes uh, for for his uh, what would be a signature legislative achievement and keep Republicans aboard uh, on it. And it's very easy to see how agendas could get mixed at a moment like this when tensions are running high. Yeah, well, exactly. And I think let, let's start with Congress first, particularly the House and, and whether or not they'll how and when or if they vote on the uh, reconciliation instructions for the $3.5 trillion kind of social infrastructure package. And then the other obvious issue is the infrastructure, uh, the Invest in America Act uh, that the Senate had passed. So I think it's it's going to come at a really interesting time. You know, there were reports today that some of the nine moderate Democrats who wanted the infrastructure package to go first had, had come around to Pelosi's side. It's still not quite clear what the strategy is going to be for this. It's a very interesting and important time for the administration because if this thing falls apart, um, and the U.S. shows that it can't move major legislation on infrastructure. And you could argue there are parts of the $3.5 trillion package that really do address foundational US strengths in research and development, um, manufacturing technology. If nothing on that happens, I think you're set up, you know, to combine that with what's going on in Afghanistan. If there are concerns about how, uh, how this is all playing out, um, in Afghanistan and then Washington DC demonstrates that it just can't get anything done. You know, it's kind of double whammy to confidence in the United States. Speaking about confidence in the United States, I mean, it's very, very hard uh, to look at anything now without it being colored through an Afghanistan uh, lens. The uh, Special Inspector General for Afghanistan Reconstruction also uh, has put out a damning um, report um, talk to us about some of these Afghanistan storylines and how they affect the political dynamic. You know, on Friday's roundtable, we're going to have Michael Herson uh, of American Defense International back for our sort of uh, you know political prognosis. But there is uh, a lot of concern among Democrats and a lot of encouragement among Republicans that the president may be sort of permanently wounded uh, by this um, uh, Afghanistan debacle. Uh, walk us through some of the storylines that you're tracking 
and how that affects the bigger picture, right? I mean, the House very closely divided, Senate evenly split. Uh, it, it doesn't take a lot one way or another to sort of grind the whole enchilada to a halt, right? I mean, if we're trying to demonstrate to the world that you know we're the United States and we can get stuff done, um, you, you just found a, a, a place halfway around the world that may stop what little you hope to get done from getting done. Um, I think a lot of this is really going to depend on events in the coming weeks and months. You know, we're, we're, it's really the first litmus is going to be the, uh, the 2022 midterm elections, and then obviously the presidential election in 2024. Um, I can make a case that if the evacuation proceeds relatively smoothly um, and that I don't want to use the word mission accomplished, but that was the first thought that came to mind that, you know, it, it kind of closes without a major incident. There's still, look, this is humanitarian and economic disaster for Afghanistan. But I think you, you are seeing, you know, look, both Trump and Biden ran on campaigns to basically remove the U.S. from Afghanistan. And, and I think the public opinion polls are going to be telling, you know, in, um, in, in what degree of public support there is for this move as, as sloppy and as uh, tragic as it's been. Um, now, on the other hand, you know, there is a Middle East Institute event today on um, today, August 23rd on global terrorism, jihadism, and what's going on in Afghanistan. And I thought one of, one of the speakers was David Kilcullen, who made the very interesting and I thought kind of alarming point that you know, it's possible you could see a hostage situation emerge from this because we still really don't know how many um, American citizens are not necessarily in Kabul, but still kind of sprinkled around Afghanistan. And if you were to get a hostage situation um, emerge or maybe worse, um, American citizens being executed um, by the Taliban or ISIS or any of the other groups, Al-Qaeda that operate in Afghanistan, um, that I think, you know, it kind of gets you back to um, the, uh, the Iran uh, hostage situation in 1979. I don't think something like this would go on for 444 days. Um, I don't see how the Biden administration could let, um, let, you know, American citizens be executed or held hostage for a prolonged period of time uh, without doing something but again, you know, that again will, will raise questions about, hey, decision-making, competency, um, and the simple costs of, of going back in Afghanistan in probably a fairly large and, uh, and significant manner. So um, this thing, you know, has a range of possibilities. I think people just need to keep that kind of that range of thought open um, to, to how this is going to play out. David, of course, um, having served in the Australian uh, army, uh, being uh, seconded uh, to uh, the Pentagon, uh, and then uh, working uh, at the uh, State Department on counterterrorism issues uh, during the Bush administration. Um, he also worked on a, on a QDR, so he's got uh, at least a little bit of insight into the, the, the planning process uh, and certainly the, the, the nature of the threat. 
strategically, did it surprise you that the Taliban is reaching out to the Russians, right? I mean, uh, obviously nature and geopolitics abhor a vacuum, but I thought it was interesting that the Taliban, who are sort of the descendant of the Mujahideen that was created and nurtured by the United States, uh, eventually metastasizing into the, into, the, into the Taliban are the ones who are reaching out to Moscow to help uh, broker uh, a, quote, inclusive government. Um, no, I'm not surprised by anything these days. I mean, I, I think, you know, China also, there's been a lot of talk, speculation about China's interests in, in Afghanistan going forward. I mean, um, look, the, the Taliban are effectively cut off from Western aid. Uh, and, you know, U.S. and international aid was a substantial part of, of, uh, of, of the Afghan economy. Um, so they're going to need to turn to help somewhere. I think the interesting issue is going to be how does that desire or need for some kind of aid or international support, um, how does it align with, with the, the interest to <clears throat> keep um, terror groups tamped down? I mean, you know, Russia certainly is going to have a, a strong interest in, in keeping um, Islamic extremism from spilling over into the Central Asian states on its border and frankly, back into parts of Russia. So, um, and I, you could argue the same about China and Afghanistan. And, you know, there are Uyghur groups that are operating in, um, in Syria right now in, in some of the extremist organizations there. So um, it, it's a very intriguing and very complex environment. Um, and that's why I said, I, I, I think, I'm not sure that there's a single, you know, you really kind of have to just start thinking through what, what are some of the scenarios and what are the markers and how these play out. And as I, I, I'll come back to this. I mean, I don't think that um, the Taliban, you know, as much as this was a lightning victory, it's hard to say that they have control of the country. Um, the, the, you know, for a country with 36 million people in it, there are what, maybe 60,000 Taliban fighters? I mean, that's nothing. And, uh, and Afghanistan certainly has changed over the last 20 years. It's, it's a very different country than it was uh, the last time that the Taliban ruled and arguably their rule, you know, they got, they got booted out. So um, they're, they're gonna have to potentially be more responsible. Although again, I don't know how you're gonna square that with implementing uh, Sharia law on a, on a population where a lot, of, a lot of members, you know, particularly in the urban areas have tasted uh, frankly a better and different life. And, uh, and that's uh, right to Kilcullen's point that it may be harder for the Taliban to keep the country this time around. Yeah, I mean, I think the interesting thing is going to be, okay, is there outside support for some of these groups um, that might oppose Taliban rule? And, you know, I think it was Kilcullen who said it during this event today that, uh, you know, they, they were effective at kind of a shadow government at the district level. You know, they, they wouldn't have gotten where they are today if they were not, um, you know, fairly good at governing at that level of society. At the provincial level, they've been horrible. And Afghanistan is an extremely complex, messy country. If you look at the overlay of um, ethnic and, um, and really tribal politics, and also uh, the, the Taliban are gonna have to manage. So. 
um, I think uh, they've they've got a real task on their hands, and you know it's kind of the old thing that the dogs kind of caught the car. Now what? I, I want to move on uh, to China and space, but very briefly, um, you were uh, you joined us last Monday. You were unable to join us uh, on uh, Friday, but I want to get your sense in in terms of some of the storylines, right? I mean, the the primary storyline is that this backfires very badly politically on uh, President Biden, but it also indicates the United States is not a trustworthy partner or ally, uh, that terrorism, you know, that this uh, step uh, is is tantamount to returning terrorism uh, to the country. Um, how do you view, you know, in, in after a week of coverage uh, and, and a week of um, interviewing on your part, right? I mean, because that's in large part what you do is you still continue to try to make sure uh, to keep an eye on some of these strategic trends. I mean, what what are, what are, what do, what do you think is right about these narratives? What do you think is possibly wrong about these narratives? I'm, I'm not as convinced that Biden is mortally wounded by this. I mean, you know, the, the Special Inspector General uh, report that, that you referenced, uh, which I highly recommend any listener take a scan. It's 140 pages. Um, you know, this is, this is a society, an American society issue. It's not a partisan issue. Um, and you could argue, you know, a lot of the, as I think President Biden has argued, you know, he inherited a situation where uh, the Trump administration had negotiated a deal and um, and he was faced with the prospect of breaking that deal. You can argue whether that was a right or wrong thing, but he's been pretty adamant that um, there was a choice to be made and he, he, he made the choice. And uh, again, it, it unraveled in a way that, um, that I don't think anybody really, really anticipated. I had not seen, there were certainly warnings about the fragility of, uh, of, of the government in Afghanistan and maybe the strength of the Taliban, but, you know, a dissenting memo here or there, but there was certainly not a consensus around that. So, as I said, you know, I think for the, the mortal damage could come from two issues uh, to the Biden administration. One is, you know, that hostage taking scenario was one. And I suppose the other is, is if in 2022 or 2023, there's another 9-11 scale event uh, that impacts the U.S. or a major U.S. ally that, that emanates from Afghanistan. And, and I think that's when something like this will be uh, really, you know, that can be very damaging. But again, you know, if you go back over the last 20 years, uh, this has been a bipartisan problem. Um, and the, the Special Inspector General's report really lays out all the things that were missed um, and, and mishandled. Uh, everything from dealing with corruption to the level of forces the U.S. had in Afghanistan to, you know, really just our fundamental understanding of the country. And I think that narrative, um, you know, the interesting narrative, and actually the, the report mentions this, <laughs> we... We learned a lot of these lessons in Vietnam and then completely forgot them. And the report makes the case that here are lessons we should learn from Afghanistan. We better not forget them again, because as, as much as we, we, the United States, don't want to get involved in these <clears throat> nation building, counterterrorism exercises, you know, everybody now wants to focus on the defense of Taiwan. Well, 
this stuff is going to continue to happen and we've, we've got to be better prepared uh, to deal with it. Let me take you to China space nuclear weapons uh, tackle the week ahead and what are the storylines you're paying attention to? Well, and the events that people should be paying attention. To. Yeah, I mean the two, the two, there are actually a, a couple of events. Hudson Institute, I, I give them a lot of credit. I mean, clearly they must have canceled everybody's August vacations at, at Hudson Institute because they've got a, a full slate of events um, on different aspects of uh, U.S. strategic forces, uh, the the China Russia um, nuclear threat issue, ICBMs. Um, so that, that'll be kind of one string of, of events that I'll be listening to. And then the other major event that's going on is the Space Symposium in Colorado Springs. That's a, an event that usually takes place in April each year. The pandemic pushed it out to August. Um, but you've got both civil and uh, military space leadership in the United States speaking at that. Uh, General Hyten's gonna be talking. Uh, um, the NASA administrator is going to be talking. It'll be the, the public debut of Frank Kendall as Secretary of the Air Force. And then there are just a bunch of panels on all different aspects of space, again, military and civil. So those are kind of the, you know, besides Afghanistan, I think the other, the other, the other issues that I'll be paying attention to this week. And then, of course, the Mitchell Institute for uh, Aerospace Studies also has an event. Yeah, I forgot. And they've also done an excellent series of events uh, on, on really all aspects. But in this case, I think this um, it's a Friday event that kind of looks at the, uh, the, again, the China and Russia programs and what they may be. Byron, thanks very much. It's always a pleasure having you on the program and look forward to you joining us on Friday. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, Vago. And now a word from our sponsor, retired United States Army Major General Jeff Schlosser, who is the Executive Vice President for Strategic Pursuits at Bell. We've been building creative and innovative aircraft, next generation types of capabilities for almost nine decades. Bell is the company that can deliver that. Thanks very much, sir. And thanks to all of you for listening. Please follow our daily podcasts and visit the Defense and Aerospace Report website to subscribe to our weekly newsletter. Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook at Defense and Aerospace Report, and check us out on LinkedIn. And stay tuned for our weekly cyber report sponsored by Northrop Grumman. Thanks again to Bell for their generous sponsorship, and we'll see you again tomorrow.